Hello everyone, it's the episode 3 of our Sky Lounge podcast and it's still us, your host, David and Alex. Hi, David. Hi, Alex. Hi. And today we have an amazing guest, which actually I am very honored to call my friend as well. Uh, and is, um, I would say, person with the most diverse uh, experience in travel and aviation industry that I know. Uh, she used to work for Lufthansa, Amadeus, SAS, Norwegian, ATP Co, Prost. The list goes on and on and on. Uh, currently, she's, um, she's a consultant and uh, she's also an instructor for IATA and Aeroclass. And did I miss something? I must have missed something. No, 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 it's fine, Alex. I'm so happy to be here. So nice to meet you both, Alex and David. And Alex, I think you're leaving the name a little bit of a secret, right? You haven't mentioned her name as yet, but we'll do that immediately as I talk about maybe what this episode is about. We'll give our listeners a little bit of sense of mystery, right? Aviation is all about the mystery, the unveiling, the new business class seat, the new apartment, the new brand. Okay, so uh, in the first two episodes, uh, we talked about lounges. So we were pretty much on the ground. That's interesting, but uh, there's only a certain extent that you can stay in lounges, right? One hour, two hours, three hours. I don't think I like to be in the Tom Hanks movie, right? Stuck in an airport forever. You look, you, well, after that, we moved to starting a new airline. And I think that's also an interesting topic, but uh, starting a new airline is perhaps far and few between. Uh, so I think the topic that we have today is, is really, really interesting because it covers a broad dimension of the industry. We are going to talk a little bit about the past. We're going to talk about currently where we are today, what's happening with all the noise around, you know, after, after COVID, there's a lot of noise happening. The industry is all gung-ho, you know, we're growing. Oh, wow, we're growing even more. We're growing faster. And then, of course, I think uh, we, we need to talk about the future because it's what we do today that actually would make a difference tomorrow. And I think everyone's eyes on aviation, right? People keep talking aviation, aviation, aviation. I was wondering, I said yesterday, why is it that this industry we are in gets so much of, you know, headlines and people looking up at the sky at planes and all these aviation geeks and, you know, all that stuff like that. And then I realized we always thought we wanted to fly. We always wanted to fly as humans. And those planes, you know, they really fly. And since we can't fly ourselves at the moment, uh, you know, we sort of say, okay, how do I get from A to B? And the planes are the best you know, view for that. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the past, the present, and the future of aviation. And Alex, are you going to let them in on who our guest is today? Or are you going to get let them guess? Uh, no, I'll let Anne finally speak because I feel the intro was so long. And <laughs> please feel free to introduce yourself if I miss something and reveal your last name. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for having me, uh, Alex and David. I'm Anne Cedarhall. I'm a consultant in travel, um, the travel industry and the aviation industry more specifically. And thank you for having me. 
Alex, do you want to start? What's the first? How do you want to get it started with Anne? You go with the first question. Yes, absolutely. So, as David mentioned, we would want to talk about the past, the current state, and the future of our beloved industry. And the first question we wanted to ask you, Anne, and wanted to discuss with you, is about the the past or what you have thought maybe. 20 years ago, how aviation industry would be now, and maybe certain things that you expected to turn into real life, but they didn't happen uh, because you have such a such a massive experience. So I'm really curious how you were thinking like some 20 years ago what it would be now. Yeah, 20 years ago. I mean, I had to sort of think, right? 2003, and uh, yes. I was working in two thousand and three. I was working for other days, and 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 of course there was so much turmoil. Um, and it was post nine eleven, and I think I had the shock of my life when actually a Swiss Air went out of business in two thousand, two thousand two, I believe it was March, because I I studied in Switzerland. I've I've lived in Switzerland for many years, um, and and this came as such a shock because you know this was, uh, so it was a very troubled time um and everyone was very you know there, there was so much uncertainty and of course you know with all the impacting of of 9-11 but I also remember because I've been working with with internet since um I, I should I, you know I dare not say how long it's been but I mean I really started off working with internet when I started in the industry. So not kidding you, I worked on American Express Interactive back in 2000, you know, 99, 2000, I worked on American Express Interactive. Um, and, uh, and I remember that it was such a struggle. Uh, everyone you spoke to, I had, a, I had a boss who told me that this internet thing will never take off. It's never really going to happen. It's not important, and and everyone kept saying how unimportant it was. So it was it was really it was really hard work, and trying to convince people that you know this is this is going to happen, and um, yeah, I was right. And you believed in it back then, even. I believed in it. I I fully believed in it, and then of course, you know, it really started to take off. She would say, sort of. I think it was two thousand and five, of course, with with Ryanair and internet distribution. In actually two thousand and four, I remember working on on low cost solutions in Amadeus, and everyone was panicking with these airlines who didn't distribute themselves in a traditional way. So it was it was around that time. Yeah, very interesting, very interesting. Oh yes, I'm a firm believer. Just leading on to that, Anne, I mean, it's really right when you go back and you think back, you think how different the industry is today. Uh, I was reading something that you posted, I think, in November of, of last year about eating elephants. Uh, and, and, I, and I like to tell uh, I like to tell our listeners that no actual elements were hurt in, in the eating of elephants. These are all virtual elephants since since this is a lot about technology. So, um, you know, uh, we'll come to that a little bit later. Maybe you can explain to us what you meant by eating an elephant and M MTP. I think you talked about yes, MTP. Yes, more than PowerPoint. More than PowerPoint. And that's something that, you know, I want to talk about is we do, like you said, is we do so much on PowerPoint. We talk about so many things. There are so many things we wanted to do in the past. But are you sort of, you know, uh, you know, think about there are certain such great ideas that could have been implemented, but they're still, they're sort of relegated 
to to uh, to to the to the realms of history today? Um, yes, I I well, you know, when you read my post, that I very often blame full content. I do because I think it technically set us back because we 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 had. You know, what actually happened in 2005 was that airlines were saying that distribution cost was just absolutely enormous and it just couldn't go on. They just couldn't keep paying more and more and more and something had to happen. And of course, that was when the low cost airlines were showing that, hey, we pay a fraction for distribution. We've got internet distribution. We, we pay, a, a, you know, a tenth of, of what you're paying, uh, if, if not less. Um, and our airline IT cost is, is a fraction of, of what yours is. So, so this kind of went hand in hand and there came the full content. But full content I really see was really hampering innovation because you had, uh, you know, you had to have the same content in every channel. So, of course, you would develop, you know, you, it, it was painful to develop everything in every channel and, of course, technically expensive and, and hard. And that actually set the industry back is, is my, is my, you know, uh, what I usually say is the explanation of it all. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, we started talking, I remember started talking about NDC the first time in, I think it was 2006. I'm not kidding. I, I think that's when Air Canada, I could be wrong, could be 2008, uh, I could be wrong, but when Air Canada introduced their tango affairs, that's when the whole NDC saga sort of, you know, that's when the rock and roll started. <laughs> and it's still going on. <laughs> it's still going on, yes. Um, uh, with, um, yeah, we, we, can, we can, you know, devote, I don't know how much time to talk about what's actually successful and what's not so successful. Um, uh, but... Um, well, you know, what I was really hoping uh, that we'd see is, you know, it's not so much, you know, okay, so, so I can say NDC, yeah, it's great to have a, a messaging standard, right? It's, it's really great if we can improve messaging, but it's actually the processes that are archaic. And I, I was given it, I was giving this quite a lot of thought when I was, I was um, first, you know, introduced to you guys about doing this. And we look at, for instance, fares filing, right? And, and you file hundreds of thousands of, if not millions of fares that can only be published on the hour. And uh, they're, they're not real time, you know. They have to be published and then distributed and then priced by pricing systems. And, you know, millions of fares are actually thrown away and they're actually created for absolutely no purpose whatsoever. So it's a lot of data that is so totally wasted. And and, and then it's not only, and you know, you look at fair rules and uh, I was in, in London the week before last and, you know, Jay Sorensen was showing uh, images of how the fair rules from ATPCO are still shown, you know, to the end consumer in that format, in sort of, you know, the, the processing of bits and bytes, which is horrific. I mean, no, you know, geeks like us can probably read it, right? But we, you know, very, very few people can understand what it means. Um, it's not only that, I think it's the, you know, the whole structure. When you start thinking about, for instance, 
You can't uh, miss your outbound flight because then your inbound flight will be cancelled and you can't use. And you sort of think about these processes and you think this doesn't apply with some low cost airlines where you can actually use either flight in you know, the desired direction. But you know, this is why do we have these very antiquated processes and 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 you know like exchanges and and why is it why is it so and and so many of the airline websites I'm sorry but they do look like school projects. The search has not changed for twenty years, you know, and and why aren't they inspirational? Why can't they sort of deliver what I'm looking for? And and then of course I I find I know I'm talking a lot about what sort of pains me, but you know this this really upsets me in the industry. Um, and and we look at all like I said the waste of all these fares and the the shopping, um, you know airfare shopping, which I think seriously needs modernizing, and so do excess transactions. I mean I heard of an airline who is paying five million euros a year just in excess transactions. And again, we're talking wasted data. It doesn't result in, you know, more sales and and better profitability and, and growing revenue in travel. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The other week, I was also like thinking about it. Whenever I search for a ticket, actually, I always start on Google Flights. Even if yeah. I know the airline that I want to fly, I start on Google Flights because really on Google Flights, it's easy to navigate. I can filter, I can search, I can do even multi-city. Wow, which is almost impossible <laughs> on the airline website. Yes. Like really, yes. I, I have to go to Google Flights to do this and then I will be redirected to the airline website because otherwise there is no way that I can find those connections on the airline website. And I was thinking, Airlines, they want direct, they want direct bookings, direct search, but then the experience is so much better on the third party. Isn't it upsetting? Exactly, it is. And you're spot on. Actually, I start my search in flightconnections.com because I don't want to miss on, you know, miss out on anything. I, I want to see, you know, is there a low cost airline that, that flies there? And then I carry on onto Google, I, just, just like you, Alex. And and this is kind of how I envisage the future. And and also something that when you say multi, multi-stop, I mean, that's just insane. And I'll actually go to show you sometime, Alex, the craziness when you look at these archaic processes or the sort of fare structure. So if I don't come back to the country of origin, my fare might be, you know, 1200 euros more expensive or something like that and this is also something that that needs to change i mean it cannot the, the customer cannot understand that he needs to close the journey right that that's 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 crazy so yeah yeah <laughs> i mean yeah even talking about a recent experience that i had with my son so my son whenever he wants any assistance of tickets um, calls me and says, Dad, you know what? My wife, uh, his wife was traveling to Japan and he said, Dad, you know what? I want to also, I've got a few days off. I want to go as well. But you know, it's too expensive because the company booked her ticket and he had to go with her. Very expensive. I said, Dad, can you help me with that? And of course, you know, I have to show that. Oh, wow, Dad knows something, right? Uh, and, and I'm happy to say, of course, I didn't start, like you said, is with the airline side. 
I started with with my own sort of you know secret sites, like you said, and it's all about the secret recipes, right? We'll talk about that later. You have to tell us, David. We told you which sites we're using. What, what's the secret? <laughs> No, I'll 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 tell you when the podcast is over. I'll tell you when the podcast is over. But this is completely but, unfair. <laughs> but to say, I I saved him I think about eight hundred dollars, and we actually did a mix and match of a low cost as well as a traditional airline, and he was happy. But again, coming to your point, I didn't go to the airline site, right? Uh, I went to non-airline site to actually do my research. But that's the problem, you know. We're in the industry; we know the tricks and we know the sort of ins and outs. But people who are being, who fly maybe once a year uh, for a holiday, right? Uh, they they don't know it, and all this confuses them with these ten pages of terms and conditions uh, in Arial uh, six or Arial seven or whatever it is in terms of font type, and that's where the biggest challenge with the industry is, right? I think we all agree on that part of it. Oh, we do, and and that cracks me up when people say, oh. AI is such a threat and, and you know, that's just, oh, it's just, oh, it's just so dangerous. And you're thinking, can we please have some AI to help us in this side of the business? You know, that would be fantastic. Can we just modernize this stuff? Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Just a question, and you'd raised quite a lot of interesting points. I was just making notes there. And I think one point perhaps that, that we can maybe look at, and you talked about low-cost airlines. Uh, you know, you, you spoke about how low-cost airlines are actually low-cost when it comes to doing business, not actually low fares, perhaps. Uh, what, and in this region, uh, we sort of used to laugh, I think, 15 years back. We said, oh, low-cost, they're never going to come into this part of the world. And today, as I look out of my window uh, from where I sit, I see, oh, there goes Wizz Air. Oh, there goes Arabia. Oh, my God. I'm sure there'll be an Etihad one now. No, there's another Wizz Air. There's another Air Arabia. So what are your thoughts on how low costs are actually shaking up the, the industry as it sounds? Well, they have from the very start, right? And of course, internet was what helped them. And so they've, they've been drivers of innovation since day one, really. I mean, they realized that they could, you know, like we said, lower um, uh, lower the airline IT cost. I mean, they didn't need all the fancy stuff. They didn't need the interlining or the, the, the revenue accounting, etc. cetera. Um, <clears throat> they, um, they could sell directly, you know, um, like I said, to the public. They very early on unbundled, right? So they said, okay, you just want the seat, right? Um, and uh, if you want the preferred seating, you have to pay, etc. So, I mean, that was the... And, and they realized, I mean, by doing that, they really realized that they could um, retail, in, in essence, retail, right? So they have been the drivers of, and, and this is, of course, what traditional airlines have been trying to do. They've been saying that, well, we, we know that they, they like to see NDC as the sort of magic box to solve everything from, I mean, they call continuous pricing to be NDC, which it's not, you know, they, they, um, everything is called NDC that is supposedly all the stuff that actually low cost uh, airlines do, what they are successful at. That's what traditional network legacy carriers would like to call NDC. So it's 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 very interesting, but yeah, that's where they are, and and of course they've been very, they've been very adamant in in the way, uh, you know, uh, kudos to Ryanair. I mean, they they really, you know, there are so many airlines that are, that I admire in the low cost space, and uh, 
you know, they were very early on understanding also um, the, the power of destination marketing, working with destinations. They understand that so much better. And of course, they've been helping to, to drive um, experimenting and doing A to B testing, which, is, which was unheard of for sort of a, a, a network carrier. Yeah, um, I was booking a flight last week with Sun Express, which is a low-cost carrier, right? And I was actually amazed by the payment options that they offer. Because just the day before, I had to buy a ticket for my mother uh, for one of the really big European carrier, um, which I won't name, because the experience was quite bad. And uh, I only had two payment options, PayPal or credit card that's it and then i open sun express and i have all of this you know invoice in 30 days invoice installment uh, direct bank transfer credit card debit card blah 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 and i'm like wow just amazing right so much easier i mean in sun express especially i do admire very much because they really did a 180 they, they used the, the pandemic um, and, and, and improved so much. They've, they've done, it's, it's one of those airlines I admire a great deal. And I also love it when Peter Glade at Sun Express, when he talks about the stuff that's failed, he will, he will very openly tell you about, he will say, okay, we thought this was a good idea. It turned out it wasn't, you know, we experimented and, and we tried this. And, and I just love that openness and that transparency uh, that, that they're showing. Very impressive airline. But is it because and uh, legacy airlines don't like to experiment, or what exactly? I mean, why does it take so long, right, to get to get sort of simple, sometimes simple things things in place, right? Uh, is it that you know they're averse to experimenting? What exactly is the core core challenge there? Um, actually, yes, I would say that they're very risk averse, and I think. Traditional airlines, as we know them or whatever we want to call them, they very often in Europe have a government legacy or the sort of, you know, that kind of, of history. Um, and, and I have heard, this is really sad, I have heard in several airlines, people who have said, oh, it doesn't matter, the government is going to bail us out anyway. It doesn't matter if we're profitable. And, and you know, so, so that mentality is not great. And then I think in general, very often airlines or, you know, we're looking at the C-suite of people, they are uh, very operational. They come from the operational side of the business. And, and I've been talking about this for many years. Um, and they are very risk averse because, I mean, naturally, when you are, when in, in operations, it's safety first, right? And you have to be risk averse and you have to. You have to think about this continuously. But that is not great for doing business and doing commercials. Um, and, and I think it just spills over. And I think it's they really don't have enough commercial people in the organization. And then it's, it's another problem, and that's the silos, that they do work in silos, right? And, and, and you will have loyalty over here in its silo, and they will work very differently than, for instance, the distribution people who are over there and they're a silo and 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 then you have like you know maybe the e-commerce people and and that is so wrong you just have to bring them together uh, and and that is of course what low-cost airlines do 
Traditional carriers, they also like that uh, thing that we call code sharing. And uh, I remember I was at one, I was attending the call, and you mentioned a few weeks ago, right? And you mentioned code sharing is still here, but it's such a useless thing. Can you explain your view on this and maybe tell our listeners a bit more why you think code sharing is useless, really? I agree with you. <laughs> well, again, it's the process that is, is archaic and very legacy. Because, I mean, CodeShare was designed for the GDS green screen. And it was, it was designed there to be a, a marketing tool, to be able to, to show the airline that, that the airline had a much bigger market than it, it did in reality. But of course, you know, I, I, I do actually say that code share is evil uh, because, you know, passengers hate it. Um, it, it, it doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't work well with, with the platforms like the PSS, you know. Uh, you don't have real-time, you, you know, may not have real-time availability for CodeShare. You can have. Um, so CodeShare is just, it's, it's used because, you know, you've, they, they've already paid for it or they're already paying for it and it's, the, it's cheaper than interlining. That is why it's used today. So what would be the replacement of CodeShare? And I mean, uh, I, I maybe think of it from a traditional airline perspective, having worked for quite a few airlines in the past. So I say, you know, CodeShares are such nice things. You know, you, you get the seamless integration that happens. I mean, using an example, we bought a ticket a few months ago. It was, uh, it was a United ticket, but, uh, no, sorry, it was, yeah, it was a United ticket, but the flight was Lufthansa and the CodeShare was Etihad or something like that. So it was pretty mixed up. So, but, you know, I would say it's seamless. It gives people the opportunity. It gives airlines the opportunity to sell destinations they could never sell before and pretend that they still went there. Yeah, that's, that's a key word, pretend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretend, pretend that you go, you go there, yes. And that's what I, when we, when we say seamless, I, I must say I disagree. Because, I mean, the passenger is, is you're going to have a completely different experience. On one airline, you have a, a free coffee. On the other airline, that is actually the operational carrier, the coffee isn't free. So immediately when you have different service concepts, you are creating a situation that makes the, the customer unhappy. And especially, I think, you know, the customer could be happier if you actually communicated well what's part of the service, but they don't. They typically don't say, you know, and, and then, of course, we have all this confusion at the airport when you're looking for, you know, these, 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 these flights. And, and, and then, of course, the technical glitches. I tried for five days to change my seat in premium economy on a Lufthansa um, uh, marketed ANA operated flight. And it wasn't until I got to the physical gate. I even tried calling Tokyo. I'm not kidding. Um, and I, they couldn't do it because they said Lufthansa owned, you know, the flight. And of course, Lufthansa couldn't do it. You know, nobody could do it, right? And, and finally, at the gate, I could change my seat. So these are the headaches of CodeShare. Share. And, and yes, David, you're saying, how can it change? Of course, we can do anything virtually. Of course, we can virtually market in a much better way today with the technology that we've got that sadly is not used to you know to to as it should be used uh, meaning it's not being modernized right 
But of course you can you can represent this so much better. And that is actually one of the important things about NDC, that it should work a lot better. How, how do you think um, the, the behavior of uh, traveling public changed over the years? Because we talked a little bit about uh, low-cost carriers. And of course, with this unbundling, you know, uh, how people travel, how we travel changed a lot, right? It affected a lot. Um, what do you think else changed in, in, in the behavior? You, you see here, I have a poster of TWA. Back then, in times of TWA, travel experience and passenger expectations were completely different, right? They would serve you a lobster on board. Now you travel in business and you are hoping you will have something decent to eat. <laughs> yes. which, which may not be the case. Exactly. No, exactly. Um, yeah, how, how it's changed. Well, of course, airlines are not, I don't think they're responding well to customer expectations and they're not dealing very well with the sort of online at all times, right? That the passenger actually, I mean, I had an example of it last night when a friend uh, messaged me, he was stuck in Zurich. And of course, on his app, it said that his flight was leaving at 8.50 and at the gates, he was saying that the flight was leaving at 8 and you sort of just go, ooh. Right. So I think the passengers in, in general don't understand why the airlines can't communicate better. Um, and, and of course, again, coming back to they, they can't understand the complex rules for changes and refunds. Uh, that is a headache. And and uh, like we were talking about the, the various processes, I mean, in my book, you know, there shouldn't be anything like exchanges, you know, exchanges should go away. Right. It, it just should be be uh, modernized. Um, and, and then also I think that passengers are uh, very upset with customer service getting worse and worse. Um, you know, there's one thing you're replacing it with chatbots, but you, you really have to use better technology for that. And then also the lack of personalizations because personalization, because, you know, customers are expecting me it was like someone was saying to me that they wanted they were looking for beach and they got a suggestion to go to greenland i've had very similar similar suggestions or or you know like like a friend who who was in first class and and got a message saying do you want to upgrade i mean you know this is the sort of basics that airlines should be able to do better and and, and this is this is where the where the consumer is going you know, uh, you know, Alex, I typically say that my banking app is sexier than my airline app. And it is. My banking app is sexier. Mine too. It is better. It knows me. Yes, it knows me. It knows, you know, and, and, and this really upsets me. And, I, you know, I have one airline app that still insists that I'm departing from Newark. And they've got my home address. I don't understand, you know, what's so... So, so that's... You, and you know it takes, what is it, 16 positive experiences, it could be 12 or 16, I can't remember, um, uh, to make up for one bad one. And it's also the, the, the lack of trust. Because, you know, when I see that they think you know, that, that I live in New York, I sort of go, hmm, you know, do I, do I trust these guys? Do I, do I think they do a good job? No, not really. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. And yeah, this is always amazes me. I, I, I'm getting advertisement for the for the destination that 
I already booked. So like, what's the point of promoting me a flight to New York if yeah. you already know yeah. that I bought a ticket with your airline to yeah. New York? Sell me something else. And this is a real story. This is a true story that's happened to me. I bought a ticket and then I started getting all these emails. Oh, we have uh, those amazing fares on sale now. It's making me feel even worse. And I start to think, oh, prices maybe dropped. Did they book at the wrong time? You know, so instead of giving me positive experience, just personalization and using data, <laughs> giving me the opposite. Exactly. You know, there's a, term, there's a term for it, which I learned just last week. It's called buyer's remorse. It's when you buy something and you think, oh my God, did I pay too much for it? Right? So instead of feeling happy about the trip, you think, oh my God, I think I paid too much for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was like a hotel that sent me a message after I stayed at the hotel. They said, too bad that you didn't register for, you didn't register for double points. You missed out. And you're sort of going, are you telling me now? <laughs> wow. I, no. I mean, that is like so bad. Don't you understand that do not tell me. Do not tell me. Don't tell me about the promotion. But and just thinking about all that happens, and yes, of course, you know, this is a huge industry. Flexibility is a challenge. But um, there are a lot of innovative airlines out there. Right? Yes. A lot of people doing bits of innovation. It could be the big ones, but it could be the really small ones that make a difference. Yes. Uh, yes. You know, could you give us some examples of, you know, some sort of innovations that we sort of see around the world? Uh, yeah, and, and, and I think the OTAs have really been drivers here. I mean, the low-cost airlines are drivers and the online travel agents are drivers. And we see this starting to spill off, you know. I want to, for instance, uh, the concepts that's been around with OTAs has been cancelled for any reason. And I think airlines are finally catching on that, ooh, this is, you know, quite a good product. I mean, Air Canada are introducing it. Really, you know, when they when they again are separating the stuff in the fair rule and, and creating products out of those. Um, and, and, you know, the fair is kind of just separated. So, so for instance, do you want to change this ticket multiple times? Do you want to, you know, stuff like that. And of course, when we're seeing truly seamless uh, reservation processes, and of course, when you make relevant offers, I, I, I love it when I get a, a, a relevant offer, right? Uh, and I typically do get them from from LCCs. Actually, they um, they they know they they know me. They know you know what I want to do and what I'm I'm interested in. And also, of course, I think those airlines moving into the marketplace. I mean, we have examples of that. Ryanair, we have Allegiant, um, uh, and um, uh, you know, offering for instance, do you want to book that football match, which is in November twenty twenty three? Yes. I want to go to that match and I want to book it. That's something that, you know, both Ryanair and Allegiant have. Um, and then I'll sort out the flights later. I haven't really decided on that yet, you know, but that match is important. And, and kudos to BA. I don't know if you noticed uh, very recently that they've introduced a message saying, these are your rights. These are your passenger rights. Oh, yes. I mean, that was really, yeah, yeah. yes, yes, yes. And, and that's something that I've been thinking a lot about because that also takes away the pain, right? And, and there's just so much you can do to alleviate the pain when something goes wrong. So there are some examples. Yeah. Thank you, Anne. 
AirAsia, right, is another great example. AirAsia is a marketplace. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I think it's like Qantas is also a marketplace. They call it the online mall. Um, where they, you know, I think they have 400 uh, retailers. And of course, their most successful story is, is uh, Qantas Wine. Uh, but AirAsia definitely, I mean, they're, they're, they're moving into a, a, a marketplace. Well, they are in a marketplace. And, and I, what I love about AirAsia is that we'll sell any airline. If we don't fly there, we can sell some other airline that does, right? And, and there are other airlines who have done that. So they were not first and there are other airlines. But it's, um, I like that. Yes, yes, very much. Alex, let's talk about the future. I think we talked a yes. lot about the present, but I think everyone's waiting for what the future is. So we take our glass ball and look into the future and Anne is going to tell us what she thinks perhaps about a few things of the future, right? Where is your glass ball, Anne? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where's my glass ball? I don't see yeah. it, but it's okay. We can just trust you without the ball. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, for me, it's definitely the connected journey in real time. Um, it's, it's the metaverse uh, that, is, that is the future. Uh, I would like to see, um, you know, that you, you will be able to be inspired. Um, you, can, you can delight me. Uh, I see the future of that personalization is everywhere. And we've moved into instant shopping that is real time. There's no such stuff as batch processing and stuff and whatever. Um, that to me, and, and really efficient use of, of data and lowering the cost is, is critical the way I see it. Um, and then also, I think that, you know, sustainability should be the norm. That should be something that we all talk about. And when I mean sustainability, I just don't mean the environment discussion that we're having. We also need to talk about social sustainability and um, financial economic sustainability. And we need to talk and address more about the impact of of tourism um those are very very those are topics dear to my heart um so yeah those are my thoughts where we where we um where we go into the future and hopefully we will modernize some of these processes we have to did you mention automation i know how how much you love automation and i share this love with you yeah <laughs> absolutely of course i mean automation is is a must and i think that and, and automation should go hand in hand with good customer service. And also uh, to be, you know, if automation is really, I mean, it's like I say, why have stuff like exchanges? Uh, why have stuff like revenue accounting and, you know, interlining and sitting and waiting for coupons being lifted uh, three months or six months in future and, 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 uh, you know, payment should be, you should, you should get that um, instant sale, right? And then you fulfill. I mean, I, I know I sound very, I mean, I don't see the need for a ticket. I really don't. I think the ticket creates a lot of problems for us. And that also needs to be modernized. So absolutely, automation and, and everything that you see in the so-called fair rules should, like I say, become products. And, and you shouldn't have stuff in there like where you can buy it. And, you know, it's just, oh, so much of it is so archaic. Do I make sense? 
you you make sense and i i personally i hate the saturday night rule it just limits you so much like and cuts so many options immediately yeah yeah this shouldn't exist now i feel yeah exactly and that's what i mean about real time information because if you it, the willingness to pay has nothing to do really with i mean the saturday night rule was just an it's just an old method of revenue management that is there to to build those fences around the fairs because you didn't have the type of revenue management that you actually have today where you can ingest all sorts of data so Again, it's totally archaic. I totally agree with you, Alex. It's about your willingness to pay, uh, and it's it's it shouldn't be related to to and and when I hear people say personalization, when they say, "Oh, the passenger is away between Saturday and Sunday, so it has to be a leisure pa- passenger." To me, that is so outdated. Uh, it's yeah. Come on, guys. You know, just yeah, just. Just move with the times. What what is a leisure pay passenger, right? What's a, what's a blended passenger? What's a nomad passenger? What, I mean, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, think about asking a question that's been on my mind. Having worked with uh, an airport now for twelve years, so we talk a lot about airlines. We talked a lot about airlines in this in this uh, session so far. But do you think that airports also have a role to play? Uh, or else are we still in our silos, right? You spoke about the different silos. So airports are also in their own silos, but the experience starts also on the ground, right? That's a big challenge, like you said, is when you go to the gate or airports are crowded. What do you think about that? Absolutely. And of course, there is so much innovation to be made there as well, right? Because if the airport is really crowded, how can you work with, with push notifications? I mean, for me, check-in is is also outdated because, I mean, you know that I'm on my way to the airport. You can actually identify that and you can identify me in the airport, right? Um, so I, I do believe, of course, you know, and, and the opportunities and possibilities with, with biometrics, but also the airport logistics to, to just, um, first of all, uh, work on that customer experience to try to innovate. I, I, I really question why airports look so much the same. I also question why do you have different ground handling operators? Well, I, I really don't know enough about this, but you know what I mean about that I have to, if I'm checking in my bag, that if I'm flying Lufthansa, that it has to be on Lufthansa. Why shouldn't these be facilities that the airport um, provides? And then we come, come back to virtual um, interlining, right? If I want to fly an EasyJet and then actually transfer my bag onto an airline that EasyJet doesn't work with, shouldn't that be an option for the airline, sorry, the airport to deliver it for me, right? To, that I'm willing to pay for and they can provide the service. I, I know that Istanbul Airport did, uh, they, they've been experimenting in this space very successfully, I believe. So I, I, I see so many opportunities for, for airports and I also see them working again with another area, you know, the, the destination, um, destination marketing and the opportunities there. 
And and again, also with the, I think another good example, I think when I talk about the metaverse, people go, oh, metaverse, oh God, oh, that's so, so, you know, it's so futuristic. I don't think it's very futuristic and just imagine all the help you can have with the metaverse in training and helping people. For instance, a disabled passenger to actually, again, alleviate all that angst and show them, this is how you will be taken care of at the airport. And, and this is how we're going to help you. And this is how it works. Just imagine the, 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 the help that, that you can augment experiences with um, in, in this way. Yeah. So huge opportunities, I see. We are just left speechless, right, David? Just thinking about the future, dreaming and uh, comparing it to the reality. Whatever Anne you talked about is so different from, from the reality. Because I'm flying tomorrow and I got an email this morning saying, Ooh, you have to check COVID-19 travel regulations for your destination. The link is here. But dear airline, you already know what is my destination. Why wouldn't you just share? Wouldn't you tell me you're flying to this destination and here's what you need to do or what you need to submit? No, I mean, <laughs> so different from what you explained just now. And <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, but but it has it just has to get better and, and there are so many there is so much technology that can help us here I mean if we look at the processes and we look at the finances that we've been talking about just look at ledger technology and modernization and 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 you know moving to let's say blockchain and 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 everyone gets the money right and nobody needs to nobody needs to question did I get the money didn't I etc 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 um and and this goes for and 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 that's just plain stupid that you have an airline you know telling you of course they know your destination right and 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 of course they should be able to communicate with you but yeah again there is uh, and when i keep hearing and that's another thing i want to circle back to low cost airlines because so many airlines tell me oh, there's no money, you know, the margins in the airline industry are so low, they're between 3% to 5%, um, you know, it's, it's just so hard, it's just such a difficult industry. Okay, well, look at the successful ones, the, the, the guys who really make a lot of money and a lot of profit. Um, what is it they do? What is it they do that makes them so successful? And definitely processes is one of them um that's that's clearly you know one of one of the secrets to all of this so thank you and i'm and alex i'm conscious of time as well and we had got a question from somebody in the audience uh, when we were sort of talking about this episodes on linkedin slightly earlier in terms of the title and the question was and i think this is a nice personal question what do you think about supersonic travel and would you like supersonic travel or would you like travel to be more relaxed leisurely what are your thoughts of course i would love supersonic travel and if i didn't say that ash he would kill me ashra would he would kill me he would literally kill me no 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 of course and since my best friend lives in australia that is my dream that i've had for many years and i i would love to be able to just go there more you know in a faster way yes Thank you. That was a question from Evelyn, and she also added on, do you think it can be carbon neutral or should it, will it be carbon neutral as well? Um, 
I think that um, I, I have to be optimistic and say, yes, I think it's going to take a long time. I think that uh, we all have to work uh, towards and, and we see so much. We, we do see progress. It's it's not airlines, but I'll just give you an example of what I saw yesterday. So 2% of the total emissions in Norway comes from a cement factory um, south, of, um, it's, it's south of Bergen. And <clears throat> they are working on a solution where they will become carbon neutral. And I think it was something like three years from now. Um, um, and I, I could be wrong about, you know, the, the years, but it was a very, very um, optimistic uh, prognosis. And it was just, and they described, it's not cheap, of course, you know, it's expensive, uh, but they described the, the, the process extremely well. And I thought to myself, wow, if you'd asked me like five years ago, would this have been doable? And I think we always have to work towards better solutions and I feel very confident that we we will we will find ways that's a perfect note I think to end this uh, conversation we always have to work uh, on being better version of ourselves on making the industry better and I really hope that things that we discussed now in 20 years uh, we still we will still have of course Sky Lounge podcast yeah <laughs> so we will we will do this episode again three of us and we talk about what we we discuss now <laughs> and look back at 20 years and uh, yeah compare the the reality with the past <laughs> <laughs> I I I you know God willing that uh, you know we're around in 20 years from now uh, I'd be. I'd be delighted to to uh, share my thoughts on on the past 20 years. Thank you, Anne. Thank you so much, Anne. Thank you. Thank you so much, both of you. Mm-hmm.